0: We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are living. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. Welcome to another episode of Life in Color with me, Nicole, Anissa, Sherry Rose, and Leanne. Say hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Uh, We'll be speaking about internalized racism. So I wanted to quickly introduce our special guest for today. We have Karen. Hello. We have Iman. Hello. And Ubsar. <laughs> um, So we thought it would be good to um, get you guys to maybe quickly introduce yourselves to the listeners out there. If you want to go, and, Who wants to go first? You go first. Me? Okay,
1: cool. Hi, my name is Karen. Um, as you can hear, I'm American. I'm Chinese American. Um, and I'm here at Monash doing my master's in research. And my research project is on looking at online communities and how they form and how, how they fall apart.
2: Okay, cool. And how about you, Iman? Uh, My name is Iman. I am from London, but I'm also Somali, so I'm black. And I live and work in Australia, so I just work in the education sector.
0: Awesome. And Opsa?
3: Hey, my name is Opsa. Um, I'm really happy to be here today. Uh, Appreciate to be around all these ladies. Um, (laughs) It's really nice. Um, I'm here um, for Sherry Rose today. I met her through Still Nomads, and I make music and enjoy many kinds of sounds and life in general.
0: Cool. Awesome. Sweet. So so this show, we're going to be speaking about internalised racism, which is a pretty heavy topic, Mm -hmm. Um, but we wanted to speak about something that's happened um, in Australia quite recently, Mm -hmm. the ban on refugees coming by boat. So what are your thoughts on this?
4: Um... Yeah, so, when you don't think, yeah, Australian politics could get Absolutely. worse, yeah, there's been new proposals by the Liberal government to ban, um, yeah, any refugees coming on boat, regardless of whether they're legitimate or not, so they've just outright being like, just because of the vehicle... <laughs> which is so arbitrary and it's mm. odd that Australia's so fixated on the boats and yeah. I wonder if this is some weird like colonial like we came on I don't know Yeah, so, I feel like yeah Australia could see a good I almost I feel, <laughs> feel like a good psychodalysis
1: It's kind of weird because I almost feel like a lot of the colonial countries um, or you know countries like America and Australia that have been white dominated ever since being colonized are kind of like conspiring together to create a set of laws to just like wall themselves off from the rest of the world because yeah. as an American I can see you know, like how with, for example, in America with the prison industrial complex, how they're increasingly turning that towards the migrants at yeah. the southern border of America. Mm-hmm. And like, I know that like in five to 10 years, like what they're passing or they're trying to pass here in Australia, America will try to pass it too in order to criminalize um, immigrant bodies, migrant bodies, and to force them into this prison industrial complex and all this un- exploited labor, so forth and so forth.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting um, to me the imagery of people coming by boat how much that scares people and how politicians have used that fear to to rationalize refugee policies which are like you said completely arbitrary so if someone comes by plane like is that okay but what is it about a boat that really really gets people ticking like but again it's
3: to do with like the entire dehumanization Mm in the rhetoric that is used to speak about refugees and quote-unquote broke people, um, they don't say plain people. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, you know... Ironically, many people who do come as refugees and asylum seekers do also come by plane. Yeah, you know, and those who come by boat are some simply those who are more closer, I guess, by maritime distance to Australia. To
0: literally just a different mode of transport. Yeah, absolutely. But it
3: is that dehumanisation and the fact that they're not seen as, I guess, human people who are Mm. seeking refuge and a safe place and a better
0: life and existence for themselves who have been forced out of their situation. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, But back to the topic that we want to speak about today, internalised racism. What is it? So... Um, a lot of our show is about calling out <laughs> racism by yeah. white people, um, which is important in itself. But I think it's also important to call out racism wherever you see it. Mm. And we, there is a lot of racism amongst people of colour. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important to talk about that because when we when we're talking about racism this is a white construct um Mm. basically that we've absorbed from from white powers onto Mm. our own attitudes amongst ourselves and if we are living in a racially unequal Mm. world where we discriminate and have prejudice against people Mm -hmm. because of their their Mm color or their race or religion um for us to stop it, we need to stop continuing those attitudes of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we're seeing is that we're actually absorbing them mm. in our own com- uh, communities and continuing it. And this is harming um, yeah. ourselves, um, and it's not doing us any favours. Yeah. So this is something that we need to talk about. Yeah. Can you
3: tell us a bit about that, Iman? Certainly. So um,
2: <laughs> with internalised racism, it's actually really deep and really wild because... Mm you pretty much get it everywhere and anywhere. And a lot of the time you don't even realise that you're perpetuating it or mm. even that it's against you. You just sort of sometimes see it as compliments or just like, oh, how lovely, thank you. And
3: how does um, it manifest? Like, what's an example of that?
2: It manifests in many different ways. For example, skin bleaching. Mm. And within many black communities where skin bleaching is a major part of life where well this is just speaking from a black perspective mm. but I'm sure it's everywhere as well where whenever you go into a black hair store they literally have an entire counter of just different types of skin bleaching creams where they will actively try and sell you that and I know in the UK they banned it yeah, but it's still being sold almost like a black market yeah, type of thing and it's pretty much perpetuated by your mum, your auntie's anyone you meet where it's oh you're so light oh you're so pretty mm. even when you go to weddings or yeah. just get-togethers if you've been out in the sun you've been playing and then you mm. come in and it's like oh no you've gotten dark you need to stay indoors now or when you just as a compliment just within Somali communities it's like oh mm. a which just means like light one mm. and that's seen as a compliment like oh yes
3: wow, the light
2: child so it's almost like um, you begin to
3: internalize or you begin to take on those comments. You
2: begin to almost see it as an everyday part of life. Like it's mm. only when you start to get older and when you start to, start to actually analyze mm. what's going on where you're just like, wait, hold on a second. This is an actual term of endearment mm. that is just still here and that's still going where... It's like saying sweetie or honey, mm. but instead it's, you know...
3: Picking out right a trait of, yeah. a trait about yourself that you might not be able to change exactly. and saying you would be better or you are not as good because of this trait of yourself. Or just saying,
2: oh, you are really great just because of how light you are. Wow. Pretty much. And then you get all types of other internalised racism as well in the fact that if your hair is really loose in Mm. curls or if your hair is straight Mm. versus if your hair is in curls or if your hair is in braids Mm. like for example whenever I go to any weddings Mm. I know that the majority of Mm. the women in attendance will have straight hair Mm they will have straight, maybe a few little Kim Kardashian curls and waves in them, and that's it. You might get a few girls with curls, normally uh, me. yeah, (laughs) But that'll be maybe two or three, and they're the ones that are being slightly edgy, yeah, and they're just almost, I guess, put to the side and just seen as like, oh, okay.
3: So the examples that you've given, do you think it's to do with the standard of beauty that is set as whiteness and then you know for example yourself as a young black woman same as myself kind of take those things on and are in aspiring to those standards or in their communities seeing those standards as better put themselves down
2: absolutely because you have all types of terms you've got things like nappy Mm. as a term for black hair that's just an afro really Mm. um you have if you've got a looser curl pattern in your hair you're seen as much more superior it's like oh my god wow even within other Mm. black people they just subconsciously just say things like oh i wish i had your hair Mm. oh it's really nice and i get that from a lot of people where it's Mm. just like your hair's nice as well i don't understand what this fascination is it's really not any more amazing or Less than your hair.
3: Absolutely. I guess it's quite complicated. I mean, when we talk about skin bleaching, that's, mm. I guess that's mm. almost global. That's global. Yeah. The issue of skin bleaching. I know. Um, I was quite shocked. Actually, I was surprised. Maybe to find out that as much as it, as much as it is an issue in African and Black communities, it is also in Asian
0: communities. Definitely. Yeah. In Indonesia, um, when you turn on the television, um, there are like Two very common ads that always pop up. There's the anti dandruff ad. <laughs> um, I I don't know why, but we have an obsession with like not having dandruff. And the other ad is always like the skin bleaching ad or the whitening cream ad. Um, so you'll have like an already really white Indonesian not even sometimes Indonesian, usually like a mixed mixed Indonesian actress or model yeah. who's already quite light-skinned, and then she tr- puts on this cream, and then there's like this glow. It's like a oh! kind of sound effect <laughs> in the background, and then she becomes whiter, and yeah. she's got this jet black hair, and she's always gorgeous and put together. So it's a huge industry in Asia, not just yeah. in Africa, of um, people still trying to... Um, Become white, basically, and thinking that that's what that is what is beautiful. And if that goes the same with like all the TV shows and and movies, Mm -hmm. all the actors and actresses are white, or they Mm -hmm. um, are mixed with like Dutch origins or European um, European um, ancestry. Like they're always mixed, or they've got they're really eloquent. And then it's interesting because like you can't say that it's not just like a coincidence because they then portray. Um, the servants and the taxi drivers and the um, the nannies as like the dark skinned Indonesians, which mm. it, like the majority of Indonesians are, da- are dark skinned mm. with flat noses like myself, um, and they're always um, given the the role as like yeah the, the babysitter, the nanny, yeah. the cook, the cleaner, the taxi driver who um, speaks really like slang and is kind of mm. like a bit loose, like yeah. not as refined, yeah. um, and. Like, I have not seen a single Indonesian um, TV show or movie or any character that portrays Indonesians as they actually are and, like, celebrates them. Instead, Mm -hmm. we're celebrating whiteness for a country Mm -hmm. that is always claiming that they celebrate independence from, from, you know, the colonial... Colonial powers, we still celebrate whiteness. So I'm just wondering whether we have a very, like, if we really departed from colonialism or if it's very much still in our culture and mindset.
4: I think, yeah, yeah, the the scary part, I guess, we've internalized racism is that it's not necessarily an explicit or open thing. Like you're saying, like, a lot of times they're just words that you say and that just become kind of normalized in culture and they're kind of implicit or like they're just like seeking the unconscious, the kind of assumption is that being closer to whiteness is better so and especially like being growing up in Australia like um all the media you watch or like you're saying in the internet, all the media you watch present white people in a specific way yeah or like being whiteness being as like being successful being intelligent being educated and that's like mm. that's the, if that's the only thing you get that's like kind of what unless you kind of critically analyze it which often doesn't happen with like because of the kind of mainstream media we absorb Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's just everywhere. Everywhere, and then
4: I think a danger with internalized racism is that it kind of becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, where like you're being told because of these traits of you fit into these boxes, you're only going to be a taxi driver, you're only going to be X Y Z, and um then there's also a lot of like kind of self hate that kind of can happen. Absolutely.
2: But you see it as well Well, as we were talking about media Not only just white media that comes out in Hollywood movies But also as well of well, talking from a black perspective yeah. um, Also just in black media also mm. If we look at, for example, Tyler Perry movies mm. Where you'll find that, for people that know, Tyler Perry is this comedian Who also makes a whole bunch of just really trash movies That everyone absolutely loves and watches all the time where you'll find that the normally it's to do with a black woman that's been slighted and she then finds and is saved by another man and lives happily ever after. But you also will always find that the man that's you know, the bad guy is the darker skinned person and the guy who's the good guy is the light skinned, Mm. bright eyes, Mm. you know, type of person and it's just it's even in some Hollywood movies as well, where mm. if it is going to be a black character, you'll find that it's a black woman and then she's saved by the white guy who's, oh, it's so edgy. We've got a black and white couple and we're fighting <laughs> racism. And it's like, oh, but are you really there? <laughs> yeah.
1: I do think it's interesting, though, that with so much of internalized racism, the sight of sort of these battles is it always comes back to the body mm. because you know like so much like we've been talking about colorism and you know i can think about how in asian communities too there's this pressure now to be thin because there's this sort of perception amongst i don't know how this came up but it's like oh asians are thin so like if you're not thin then like you're somehow not fitting into the idea of being a proper asian
0: yeah but
1: you know like when i look back to my grandparents generation they didn't have that because thin was just you were malnourished mm. and like well-fed was just, it looked different and that was mm. it. But now like, you know, like within China and stuff, there's also this increasing, like you see in the cities, like everyone's trying to be thin, everyone's trying to be thin, mm-hmm. but where did it come from?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly to do with the, I mean, complex histories of colonialism and, you know, coming from or living in the history of being oppressed and continuously being oppressed and being told that you are less than um, the dominant group, which is white, um, European, Mm. um, which has historically been the dominant group and historically, you know, being oppressing other groups of people of colour. And then, I guess, putting the idea in those people, then then because of your traits, inherently because of who you are, you are therefore lesser. So... Mm. In groups, we work amongst ourselves and independently to try and bring ourselves closer to that greater standard of whiteness. Yeah. And that's what internalized racism and that's how it manifests as colorism, um hating on yourself yeah, absolutely. bleaching your skin absolutely so you know even when you do see I mean the skin bleaching industry is a 10 billion dollar industry and by 2020 it's set to be 20, worth 23 billion dollars and then you have countries who have banned um, skin bleaching creams you can't independently blame you can't
2: ban it yeah you can't it's stop
3: it right absolutely then. because it's a mentality yeah. you know it's a mentality and it's, some, it's an affliction that people don't even know that they're mm, dealing with I need yeah.
4: that
2: as well but if we go back to media as well, if we then look at comments in different comment sections of things like Facebook or Mm. wherever it is, whenever there are these type of movies or whenever there are, you know, anything that has a leading person of colour Mm. and someone brings it up saying, look, we get it, we love that there is people from our community within this. Mm. However, it's the same six or seven light-skinned people that are being put in these movies and some people will be like yes you're right we need to diversify and not have the same six you know light-skinned people and the three dark-skinned people you know that we hold up saying look see we do have some you know darker people but also when you go into the comment sections and you just have a lot of people saying oh well at least we do have them at least we have that representation at least at and it's just not good enough, mm. at least it's just not good enough to say that, look, we've only got these people, but, you know, we have those, yeah. so let us just keep those rather than looking into it and just saying that no, we want better.
4: I was just going to ask Karen a bit more, because you were saying that you you have an interest in phonology, which is kind of about the study of the experience, and, like, what it is like to be to grow up as a person of colour and that experience of, I guess, like, I don't know if that could take it but like the experience of internalized racism so like the fact like growing up as a kid where you know all your dumb values are white and having to like kind of tackle struggle through that
1: yeah so my research uses a strain of philosophy that talks about thinking about being in this world specifically through our bodies in order to understand how we interpret social and political Mm. ideas of being it all comes back to the physical body Mm. you know for example when we talk about like call out culture and stuff and like Why is it so toxic? One of the reasons perhaps why is because literally with our physical bodies, when we eat something that's disgusting, we vomit it back up, right, to get rid of it. So with call-out culture, like, we're trying to eject people from the community or eject certain ideas from the community and sometimes quite disgust and quite like, um, visceral sort of ways. Do
3: you want to just, um, for people who might not know what call-out culture is or what calling out mm. is, just give a brief definition of that?
1: Yeah, so call-out culture, it's sort of like, you know, when you see in online groups, um, when someone says something that's racist, sexist, so forth, etc. it can sometimes trigger huge fights within the community that cause the community to split. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's as we're talking about internalized racism and stuff, You know so much about what we're what we've talked about so far is colorism and things about how it manifests on the body but you know like how does it manifest in our communities in other ways and perhaps more structural sort of ways and like call culture is maybe like one of those ways in which it has manifested um in which you know like as we're trying to fight we're set sort of an idea of what our community is like without white supremacy present, that perhaps we are still actually still u- utilising certain ideas of assimilation and so forth mm. in our
2: communities. I live for call-out culture. Mm. I think a <laughs> 100% necessary, especially when you've got a large group of people that come together who are mm. patting themselves on the back for how anti-racist or how anti colorist they are or just giving themselves so many props without actually thinking of how it is for other communities, especially within, I know I'm in a lot of different women of colour groups, and a lot of the time they don't realise the different privileges that they each hold within those groups. So as much as we all come together as women of colour, we're not all equal within this community and that's what we need to be addressing when we are in this to celebrate our differences but also Mm. as well to come together to learn so when I guess people go out of turn or out of step and then other people within that community don't realize and they just clap along and celebrate a lot I definitely feel that it's necessary to bring it up to call out and say excuse me but no i this is not going to work out. This mm. is not how you're going to sit here and do this. Mm. And I feel like it's when it is, I guess it sounds email, almost even violent, but not. whenever you are calling out and you're telling them, no, this is not going to go down. I feel like a lot of the time it makes them think twice rather than the whole, let's hold hands and cuddle until you realise why you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> a lot of the times if you do that they're just going to come back and make the same mistake twice. Yeah. Whilst if you're there like, "Ah, no, let Mm. me fight you, (laughs) then they will think, oh, hold on a second, I've I've been cussed out before Mm -hmm. for perpetuating this type of stereotype, this type of violence, this type of... And a lot of the time it is really violent material that's being put out there that people are having to see from a different community Mm. and being told, oh, you're in a safe space, but I'm allowed to have these ridiculous thoughts and these ridiculous imageries to put out here that a lot of the people in these safe groups do have different mental illnesses, do have different, you know, anxiety levels. And to be told, oh, this is a safe space, but this is what I'm going to tell you today about your community. It's not right. And I will call it out each and
0: every single time. Hmm. This is really interesting discussion. Yeah. So um, the next thing we're going to speak about is lateral violence. So, what is lateral violence? Basically,
3: it is violence that is displaced um, against one's peers and and dictated. Sorry, against one's peers rather than their true adversaries. So I guess what we're talking about, for example, is you know the disharmony that occurs between different migrant um, groups. Say per se here in Australia where um, there is more there is anti-blackness from other groups of people of colour or there is Islamophobia towards um, other groups of people who have migrated and are non-white people of colour and we're talking about how that I guess affects and occurs between groups different groups of people of colour who are in essence um
1: oppressed by the same dominant group well i think a very interesting example from america i know sorry to like make this all about america but um is that like hindu nationalists are supposedly supporting trump
0: Mm. and
1: everyone else is just like
0: what the like what and like what's the rationale behind that um it's because because they're afraid of anti-muslim yeah it's because of
1: yeah it's because Mm. of islamophobia that they see trump as being strong against Muslims and cracking down on, like, Muslim extremism or whatever. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so...
0: Though he's pretty much racist to everyone. (laughs) And it's just Mm, like, what is going
2: on? That's crazy. Definitely. Lateral violence is quite prominent in different safe spaces Mm. that you do get on the internet. So there's a lot of safe spaces and groups. I know I'm in a lot of women of colour groups where it's really great in idea and context where you know, women of colour are getting together because the main, you know, perpetrator, the main racist person that we all dislike are white people because, you know, all of these different racist reasons, of course. So when you find the group of people, you're like, oh, great, yes, we all don't, you know, live in harmony with (laughs) white people and these ideas. But at the same time, within these women of colour spaces, they don't take into account the different anti-blackness that they have within that community. And Mm. they tend to pat themselves on the back for not being racist and pat themselves on the back for, you know, saying, look, we all live in harmony, this is so great. And Mm. a lot of the time they will then misstep and they'll think that everyone's equal, when Mm. in fact they don't take into account the different privileges that they have Mm. not all women of color are equal not all women of color have the same privileges that each other has Mm. and there are hierarchies within women of color groups if you are Mm light-skinned a lot of the time they don't take into account what it is to be darker and you might see people giving a lot more light to people that are light-skinned and Mm -hmm. oh you're so pretty, you're so great and then someone else might come through and then start just really talking trash and being real lateral not even thinking of how it affects other groups Mm. and that's a lot of the time when I tend to have to call someone out Mm. because they feel the need to speak up about either a a group they're not a part of Mm. and speak on their different beliefs on that particular group Or B, they just say something that's real wild or something that's completely inappropriate. Like, I remember there was this one um, post where it was this girl that was not black who decided she wanted to post a picture of a black man being hanged. And the title was, like, literally the comment she wrote on top of it was, yeah, that's right, when you want to go and date a white dude, remember what they've done to us. And I'm like, but firstly, how are you just putting this as your post? This is ridiculous. It's Mm -hmm. violent. It's not something anyone should ever be needing to see. Mm -hmm. Just not in a safe space. And second, you're not black. Like, why would you ever feel the need to decide this was something that was okay for you to post? And that's when I have to step in and I have to possibly make someone cry because I'm not going to play with you like that.
1: Mm. Mm. So. Yeah, I think so often in these like, women of color groups, when non-black women of color enact anti-blackness, like mm. there's this constant sort of forgetting that, like... You know, like whether or not someone, they themselves, are anti-black or not, that can be up for debate sometimes. But what's not up for debate is, is for example... The Asian American or like not the Asian American community, but the Asian community in countries like America and Australia have been used to sort of enact structural anti blackness. Mm. And therefore our communities are inherently anti black because yeah. Yeah. we've been used and we've been sort of framed mm. in a way in order to oppress black people. Mm. And that's something I think that's too too often in our communities, even within amongst activists within our communities, that we yeah. forget that.
3: Absolutely. I think um, perhaps not an example of Our current time and context, but there was that example I've been heard, or that an analogy of that would be the apartheid movement. There were a lot of obviously Indian, um, Pakistani, Southeast Asian migrants who were living and working in South Africa at the time who were not subjected to the same um, oppression, and um, I guess simply simple discrimination that a lot of the black population was going through and there was what seemed to be a lack of solidarity between those two groups of people of color and that subsequently still till now has caused tensions between those two groups of people and I guess that's what I guess lateral violence is is when Minorities who ideally um, do not have exactly the same experience but share many, um, I guess, traits in their experience of perhaps colonialism, oppression, or etc., do not have that so- so solidarity, do not support one another. And I think we were talking about that before.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, in the context of um australia i especially have this argument with my parents especially my dad Mm -hmm. (laughs) so but anyway yeah but there's a lot of um kind of anti-blackness towards indigenous people and Mm -hmm. i don't think there's kind of acknowledgement um you know he obviously he came here as an immigrant uh, but still he kind of benefits from um colonization in a way that like a lot of indigenous people yes still yeah suffer Mm -hmm. from and i don't Mm -hmm. think uh, he kind of you know brings a lot of stereotypes about them being lazy and all that kind of stuff and it's quite frustrating especially because um it's interesting because my parents are from an ethnic minority group in China where one of the more famous people from there was this nav- navigator called Zhen He who actually came to Australia long before anyone white came to Australia and traded with indigenous people and kind of for, for quite a few years lived in some of cohesive harmony but mm-hmm. then um yeah So there's another interesting thing where immigrants have really taken on that kind of white colonial history um, and kind of really raised like everything else that's kind of happened in between and have kind of perpetuated that kind of white Colonial violence. So, even Mm. if they may be coloured or might be migrants and face racism in different ways, they still benefit and they still can perpetuate that white violence. Which, yeah.
0: Mm. I think another example on the other side of the world is looking at what is happening in the UAE and Mm. Saudi Arabia. So, um, there's a lot of like Arab superiority complex, you could Mm. call it, when it comes to um, the way they treat non citizens. um, And a lot of their workers are people of colour. So, Um, For instance, when there was the, I think it was the FIFA, the FIFA Cup um, Mm. in Qatar, there were, there were actual work, there were workers from um, Burma who, like, and a few of them died like on, on the job because of the working conditions and how, Mm. how badly exploited they were. Um, And I think that is another example of of lateral violence where um, not just yeah like you know we we kind of project that racism onto other people um and within yeah muslim muslim communities like there is that um there are these kind of like undertones of arab Mm -hmm. um superiority that um that you kind of feel um and if you look at even like in the higher politics and and stuff like that um if you look at the way saudi um the saudi government treats non-citizens even if they are muslim themselves it's yeah it's really really sad um and i really think that's that's an example of of internalized racism um that kills. Definitely. (laughs) I guess
3: that's one why we kind of wanted to touch on that um, because it does tie in with that whole internalized race and it's kind of, you know, in trying to um, Mm. trying to live post that history of colonialism um, many groups of people of color find themselves, you know, hating one another, being violent, being discriminatory towards one another Yeah. in their attempts to, I guess, reach and be closer to that standard of whiteness that mm. um, neither feel the other group is either worthy, capable of, and therefore wanting to improve their uh, lives, mm. in wanting to improve their status, their social status, and wanting to improve um, their circumstance, they find yeah. themselves... Um, being yeah discriminatory, violent towards yeah. other groups who are yeah. essentially experiencing and going through the same struggles that they yeah. are in many different, um, but
0: similar ways. Yeah, a, a really good summary of that is like back to the um, example mm. of the um, Arabs. Um, so their superiority comes from their the ideas of of whiteness. Yet, if you look at the way people stereotype Arabs, there are terms like sand n word. You know, like. It's just really interesting how those dynamics play out. Delving into the discussion a little bit, we're going to be talking about
3: good minorities versus bad bad minorities. minorities, (laughs) Or model minorities um, as opposed to less (laughs) minorities, um, which is um, like we're saying in the discussion, which is, yeah, it's part of that... um, History of colonialism it's part of the history of internalized racism, and it's part of how minority groups seek to bring themselves closer to that Ideas sense of whiteness. Yeah. yeah,
4: And I think it's definitely like a control mechanism where, um, yeah, it's a way to like make people they keep in line, keep in check. You know, follow institutions. Um, don't cause trouble, don't cause problem. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, a big part of it is um, like with the refugee debate. I was saying earlier that. Um, A lot of the rhetorics are like, oh, no, no, but, like, refugees are good. Like, they're, you know, economists, they're surgeons, they do community work. And it's, um, whereas, like, refugees are human rights issues. Like, these people fleeing from war-torn countries. That should be enough That should be enough to warrant us to help them. Mm. They shouldn't need to prove. But we, yeah, there's this expectation that, like, um, people of colour, it's, um... In particular, yeah, in the issue of these ref- refugees who are often coloured in a specific yeah, way, that, yeah, they have to fit into... They have to be perfect in order to, like, deserve sympathy or warrant. Or, um yeah, a few episodes ago, we talked about the kind of stuff in Don Dale with um, Dylan Voller, who was a young boy who was tortured in the detention centre. And a lot of people try to legitimise it by being like, oh, he was a bit of a troublemaker, which turned out he just stole, like, a snicker bar. Mm. um Just, like, kind of, like, you know but but this idea that because he wasn't this perfect human being yeah. like it was okay to justify torture so I think yeah there's um
0: with, yeah, with that issue of, of refugees, I find it troubling that a lot of the advocacy groups are using that language of um, refugees contributing to Australian society, yeah. um, helping the economy as a way to legitimise um, their stay here. Yeah. Is it not enough for them to be seeking asylum to give them the dignity of yeah. of being able to, to resettle in Australia? Yeah. Um, so. I, yeah, I feel really uncomfortable when I see arguments like, oh, um, we should bring them because um, this guy's a surgeon and this guy's um, yeah. this guy is a teacher and this this woman, like, she speaks really good English, so she can assimilate fine. Yeah. But it's like, what about, what if they weren't educated? What if yeah. they didn't have high yeah. degrees and yeah. so on? Like, d- does that mean they're not worthy enough? So, yeah, I, I'm a bit, yeah, concerned yeah. <laughs> about the way that we, we advocate for refugee rights what do you what are your thoughts on that and have you seen anything that kind of
2: yeah yeah I'm not the biggest fan because um you tend to see it a lot as well in different news stories mm-hmm. where they'll do things like oh look see refugees are great here's this Syrian one who's just decided he was gonna give food to homeless people and here's another one who has now opened up his own shop and is doing this for the community and it's like well Good for him, but um, that wasn't necessary. He can just still be a human being mm. who needed a place to live after you know your country decided to go in and just uh, mess things up. Mm. Like no, nah. especially with countries like Australia, the UK, and the USA, it's ridiculously hypocritical to just go in, bomb a whole bunch of countries, and then say, look, well, you can't come to mind. This is your own problem. You know, it sucks that you got bombed by us, but uh, no, Mm -hmm. we can't help you any further than this.
1: And, you know, it's sort of, like, interesting to also think about where is this narrative going? Because, like, say we let in all these refugees who are highly skilled, you know, like, how does that population over time get used by the government and policies against for example indigenous you know like Mm. australians against black aboriginal australians Mm -hmm. you know like what are the narratives that are being set up there where it's like oh see these people we let them in because they were like somehow skilled and good and contributed to our society but these other people who we you know killed and pushed off their lands um you know they're they're somehow like not good enough for society today you know like Mm. what is you know like what's
0: going to uh, yeah. be... our yeah. refugees and asylum seekers being co-opted, yeah. basically, yeah. by the government, yeah.
4: I think, yeah, the minority myth, um, yeah, there's something about, it's trying to prove that, yeah, a certain, like, minority successes are often... Obviously, we want to, like, um, celebrate when you know, a person of colour succeeds in society, but sometimes they're kind of used to be like, oh, this structural racism doesn't exist because this XY person is successful, and it's kind of to make other people who... Who, have, who haven't seceded to feel like it's their problem, like they're too lazy, they've done something wrong when it's actually structural violence. It also mm.
2: flips it as well when there's something that's gone wrong. So, for example, if someone who's come here on a refugee status then, I don't know, steals something or causes violence against someone else and it's like, well, see, see, this is why we don't let the refugees in because, mm. you know, Tom, Dick and Harry went and raped a lady but remember that one refugee that did that also because uh he's you know just like all these other men out here Yeah, yeah i would say that
3: that's certainly a narrative of the african communities um the particularly the sudanese um community that many have come as refugees um and you know You do hear the way in which they are portrayed in the media and not just the reaction, um, I guess, from the general public, but from particularly groups of other um, peoples of color being like, well, yes, uh, they are not as good refugees as perhaps, you know, as as us, you know, who may be um, Vietnamese or who may be Chinese. They're not as assimilated and they're not as good of a minority group as Mm. we are they're not as valuable um, to the society and they should be because they should be grateful that they're here
1: and it's interesting for me too to see how these model minority you know this sort of these sort of narratives play out in other parts of the world Mm -hmm. but they stem from you know like countries like australian america because for Mm example you know like right now china is pretty busy colonizing various parts of Africa for mm. resources like that's a thing that's going on and also something that's going on is is that a lot of the international Chinese students have hold a lot of racism towards mm. student in particular Sudanese youth because mm. of the whole like apex gang like whatever yeah, that, they
0: made such a new, new story yeah like but that. you that's
1: know like that's such an overblown news story yeah, but it's great. being overblown for a purpose mm. you know and it's just like you know like you have these two seemingly separate things that are going on And yet, you know, like, are they so separate, though? You know, Mm. like, is one going to end up becoming the justification for the other?
3: Yeah, I guess the interesting thing is, like, talking about the model minorities. One thing I didn't realize and growing up um, as a young African of a migrant background is how much similarities I had with other people of color. So I had a lot of diverse friends. I didn't actually have that many um, black friends throughout school or anything like that simply yeah the area that I grew up in um most of the people were either of Asian background or of Anglo-Australian white background and um just in year 12, you know, we're choosing all of our subjects and stuff like that. And, you know, I happen to be doing a lot of science subjects. And then the other girl um, who's from an uh, Asian background, she's like, oh, you're doing science subjects. And I'm like, yeah, because every African parent expects their child to be a doctor. <laughs> That's And they're like, and it was kind of shocked to her, like, oh... My parents expect that of me as well. Like this is a <laughs> this is a narrative that we hold in our community too, and it's like yeah, it is one that we hold in our community too. Um, and rather than perhaps a stereotype that she may have had of um, and other groups do have of black communities being lazy, for example, indigenous communities, and there will be like you said migrant groups um, that you know have those stereotypes and those ideas about certain groups of people not being as good as a minority group, as they are. And yeah, that's it's a problem that I guess we can't just uproot and fix immediately. But it's great that we're, we've had this discussion.
0: Yeah, this has been a really interesting discussion. Unfortunately, we have to um, leave it for now. So um, thank you so much to our um, special guest hosts, Karen, Iman and Obser for joining us. And that's another episode by Life in Colour. Tune in next week for another discussion and join the conversation on Facebook, Life in Color, and follow us on Twitter at It's Life in Color. See you next week!